Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Consulting Trap. I'm your host, Brian Maddox. Today with me is Gideon Rubin from Website Z. Welcome, Gideon. Hi, Brian. I'm really happy to be here today. Awesome. Um, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about uh, kind of where you come from, and what you're up to, uh, we can start our conversation from there. Yeah, so I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've uh, started multiple companies, uh, primarily in software and really using data, leveraging data uh, and software together to find out insights in the market. So oftentimes for marketing um, purposes. Um, and so that's really kind of my background. I have a master's in, uh, I focused in applied statistics, so data science, so more of the quantitative side of things, if you will. Um, and then I've done multiple startups, including for um, for Young and Rubicam, the Washington Post, some larger companies out there, but primarily in kind of the marketing technology world. So as you go through the process of, um, I don't want to talk about evaluating startups because that's its own you know, set of things, but as you go through the process of helming one of these things, um, how do you get the first couple of clients? How do you get that off the ground? I mean, it sounds like um, you know, as a as a data person, you're gonna you're gonna drive with that most like. Yeah, so so I I typically start as as a data driven person, sort of top down. So is there a market opportunity? Who are the players? You know, building lists, the typical stuff that people would do. But at the end of the day, it does come down to you know how do you get those first couple of customers? Um, it depends on the business and the type of business, but almost always the first handful of customers are from direct. Uh, outreach or direct relationships. Um, oftentimes, that's what drove me to start the business to begin with was someone telling me they had a pain or someone telling me about an opportunity and then me going back to those people and saying, hey, if we solved it this way, would that be interesting to you? So so less about building it and then going back to them and more about um, asking them a lot of questions and, and what would solve their problem, what would add the value that they'd be willing to pay for, and then going back and, and hopefully building that or the minimum viable version of that. So it sounds like a lot of the early sales process is essentially building it for your target client. When um, when you kind of hit the threshold there, how do you know when you need to kind of pivot and start actually acquiring additional customers or new customers? And does that does that change the messaging as you go? Yeah, I, I think it definitely changes the messaging. And I think that pivotal point is tough, honestly. I, I'm an early stage guy, so I've done a lot of um, early stage startups. Um, and once it gets to 100 or a few hundred customers, uh, it changes things. So even if you've been able to get there sort of bootstrapping, um, once you get to a certain critical mass, uh, depends on the businesses are a little different what that critical mass might be. But um, but there's definitely a shift in things. And then it goes to more of a sales orientation. In the current ventures I'm working on, I've been uh, learning and studying and focusing a lot more on product-led growth. Um, so essentially, once you have those first few customers and you kind of um, try to cater to them and drive as much value as you can, you try to then take those uh, value factors and find the other players in the in the in the market that that also find those things valuable so of course some of that's marketing a lot of that's more like expert marketing or content marketing um, so getting out there and and informing people on new ways of doing things or your new technology um, really education uh, versus like uh, traditional like direct marketing or outbound um, sales um, so oftentimes it's more about that education factor having them come to you and then being able to have the conversation um, and some of that starts probably before you've made that transition from you know those individual customers that you have to interact with to get them to start using you um, 
And then the shift to, you know, people you don't know off the street that are just showing up and want that problem solved or want that product that you're delivering um, and have no idea who you are. Um, so there's there's that transition where I oftentimes just start the, the interaction with the outside world early, um, even though we're not ready to really take them on as customers, you know, just starting the conversation in the marketplace. Um, and that's honestly a lot of what we're doing right now for website Z is we're in that kind of interim stage. There are users, there have been users for a couple of years now, honestly, um, but now it's being fully commercialized. So now we're starting to turn and, and communicate more with the outside market, put more information on our website, whether it's research and data or whether it's simple things like tutorials and how to use the tool. And you're, I'm sure the social credibility plays a huge, plays a huge part in that, that uh, leveraging your initial user base should help you scale to the next sort of level when it comes to that right yeah definitely it's interesting though it's been a mix for me over the years and what that initial user base wants you to do with them so by that i mean you know i've had um like the handful of first customers on a on a business where they don't want us talking to anyone about them being customers because they feel it's such a competitive advantage uh that they don't want their competitors knowing oh we're using your tool um, so it depends with website Z, we don't have that, uh, you know, there are other players in the market. There's other ways um, to solve some of those problems. Um, but for some of the other businesses I've started, it's definitely been an interesting discussion, uh, around those first customers, uh, because from the businesses, from the startups perspective, of course, we want to publicize that and tell everyone, Hey, we're working all, with all these great companies. Uh, but from the business's perspective, you know, it may signal uh, internally that people are taking risk. It may signal externally that, um, you know, like these are tools that everyone in this industry needs or that this is the way this company got the competitive advantage. Mm. Um, I actually am on the board of a, of a technology startup now, um, local data exchange. And in that business, one of the major customers filed for a patent publicly using the company's name, even though we had a contract stating that we wouldn't disclose the relationship. So there's things like that that happen. Those are happy mistakes or incidents for um, for the startup, at least. Those are oftentimes sort of happy situations. Um, but but there's a kind of a balance there, I would say. So just going back to that, like I, I think um, if you can get your early customers to be part of your uh, sort of marketing pitch or or sort of collaborate with you to help improve the product, it's great. If you can't, it, it can be a challenge, but I think that's where um, you know, you either bring in new ones. I've done a lot of things around discounting, honestly, at that stage where uh, I'll, I'll tell a customer, hey, you know, we'll give you a 50% discount if you let us publicize that you're a customer. Mm. Um, so we've done some things like that and had some success there. That's, um, it's interesting because, you know, there's a, there's kind of two ideas, right? Two competing, competing ideas around, you know, do you want that brand spam all over your site? Does that help? Does it mean anything? Um, you know, you can put like, we have worked with companies very similar to and then throw those brands in there. Like, there's lots of uh, uh, folks that are doing maybe, let's say, duplicitous things with that kind of social recognition stuff. Um, so moving past that as a brand uh, sort of concept or as a way to get you from, from point A to point B in terms of going from those initial clients to the the second tier, maybe even the third tier stuff. When, when you're talking about um, the appeal to that initial round of clients, does it change when you try and start to hit a mass market? Do you, do you stop going after that kind of early adopter conversation? Uh, how, does that, how does that conversation change? 
I think if you're focused on product-led growth, I think the conversation sort of breaks into two tracks. One is absolutely, you should still be having those conversations. You should be getting their feedback. You should be improving the product. Um, but then the second sort of track is uh, a lot of the things that the early customers want or are asking about is not necessarily applicable to the mass market, right? So it's either customization or a feature that's really important to them, but maybe the mass market doesn't need that or, or it's unique to the business processes of that early customer. Um, so that's where, you know, you have to have that second track thinking in terms of like, how does this apply across a broader audience? We honestly use focus groups oftentimes, whether it's formal focus groups with like a focus group provider or whether it's our own version where we'll send out an email to like literally thousands of, we've done this in different segments, but like let's say thousands of developers in a very specific technology. And then we just interview them and ask them questions to understand, you know, what's important to them and what's meaningful. Um, so we've done that. Uh, I've done that, you know, dozens of times over the years to help guide that next level of growth, because that's where, um, you know, the early customers may be really excited about some bit of functionality that they get, um, but then the next stage of customers, they're not willing to wait or or tell you all the things they want or need. They just want to, do you have it or not? Like, can I sign up and use it or not? Because they're not the same as the early adopters. They're not willing to kind of uh, play it out further or or help you build your your uh, solution. So so that's where, you know, there is a difference. And, and we use focus groups to sort of jump that hurdle of, you know, how do we get to the mass market and how do we really understand the mass market without having the mass market necessarily as customers uh, right out of the gate. So that's how we've kind of jumped that. And then we can talk to the mass market by using the focus group insights um, versus just using the early adopter insights, because that's where there, there is a bit of a disconnect in the in those segments of the market. Right. I mean, everybody's going to have their sort of pet pet need or pet desire in that early adopter stage where it's like, yeah, but the use case for this is a use case of one, right? So, yeah. how do you how do you um, prevent the product along the way or the solution along the way from sort of losing its soul in that space, though, right? Because you get a little bit of that too. You get the well, we're going to go to a mass market approach, and now, um, you know, yeah, we can make more revenue, but we're losing all of those sort of important key stakeholders that were we had in the very beginning. How do you kind of mitigate those two sort of sometimes oppositional forces? Yeah, so sometimes you can't. <laughs> that's that's the, I guess one one answer. Um, you know, <laughs> I've I've had that more times than I'd like to admit. You know, and the way this really looks in the real world, uh, people talk about this all the time, but it's 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 talked about a little differently, which is. For example, if you have a consulting firm or a solutions company and you're trying to transition to a SaaS company, right? Because even though in the beginning you always wanted to build a SaaS company, you had those first few customers and you developed the product around them and solved their problems. And now when you go to a SaaS company, instead of that sort of development for hire or solving that one customer's problems, um, it does, it, it's a whole different game and it's a whole different business and there's all these differences in it. Um, so my answer to that is those early customers they get used to and programmed to like, oh, we have feedback. They take that feedback. They make new product out of it, right? Um, the other scalable customers don't expect that at all. In fact, some of them want you to tell them what they should be adding or features they should be using. Um, you know, so so it's a very different kind of mindset and interaction. Um, and and like I said, just being honest, a lot of times it doesn't translate. Like you can't scale to that next level because you've got the wrong feedback loop in place. And that's where I kind of look at the focus groups as one way of sort of jumping that hurdle. Um, 
but but that's kind of you know one one direction but but the other side of that is in order to you know do your best to sort of make that leap there um i i think it's always about that feedback loop it's always about talking to your customers as much as you can um i think we do a lot of things around um sort of oh you want that feature well would you pay this much for it <laughs> you know so even to the point of like those early customers paying for development work um to get the new features of function sometimes we don't even charge them we just want to understand the value to them like is it really worth paying okay okay then we'll build it for free you know um so things like that uh you know are very valuable and then also just asking the question one customer asked for it We'll build it for you if you pay for it. And then we'll ask the other customers, hey, is this interesting to everyone else? And if we get kind of agreement, then we just build it, right? Um, so yeah. so that's what we've done over the years. So, you, you know, you've mentioned that this is, you predominantly work with those folks in that early stage. Um, when, when it goes to that sort of run and maintain model where you're talking about that mass market approach, um, you know, how many, how many companies have kind of worked through that phase of it? And and at what point then do you absolutely need to step away because you're now the bottleneck because the way you were involved in the founding and and all that kind of stuff the way you were involved early stage is now getting in the way of the next level scalability how do you make that that call and and when does that really happen are there indicators are there things that you notice yeah so there's there's differences between um, you know the business uh, like the industry it's in matters so the scale matters in the industry and what types of customers. I'd say for me personally, there's a little, you know, I have my own uh, desires and what I've been excited about in the past. It's changed as I've gotten older, honestly. When I was younger, I just wanted to build the thing. I just wanted to build it, get it up, get the first customers, get people excited about it. And then like someone else can really scale it, right? And so what I mean by that, as far as just to put real kind of numbers and, and, and um, information context around that is, you know, once these businesses, in my experience, get to about 10 million in revenue, um, which is significant, right? But it's, um, there are milestones along the way, right? When you get to 1 million in revenue, the business changes significantly oftentimes. Um, and then when you kind of build from there, I, I've seen a lot of changes around that 10 million mark. I've done it several times up to 20 um, in, in uh, yearly revenue, um, you know, from zero to 20 million, which is really hard, honestly, you know, and, and you always think of it as linear. Well, I've thought of it as linear. The first time I did it, I thought, oh, I, I can just do it again the next time. Right. Um, but then when you get into the next business, everything's different again. And even if it's the same industry, everything's different, <laughs> you know? So, so to me, get, getting to some of these milestones, like the million revenue mark is, is hard, but then you, by then you probably have some processes in place and some things that are working. 10 million mark is similar where you probably have some major processes working, um, including sales uh, marketing. Um, but then, then to get to the next level, you have to have a whole different level of uh, scale. So in other words, national or international marketing, you know, large scale agencies working with you, um, you know, some, some analysts and, and sort of specialists that are working just on kind of the data analysis and keeping the the processes running right versus just building the processes um so it's really a kind of a long-winded way of saying there are different stages in the evolution of a business for me in my early career i liked staying in the early stages from nothing to kind of that 10 million or 20 million revenue mark um now you know my personal goal is to get up to the 50 million revenue mark um just because i haven't been there and i know that there are a whole different set of hurdles I will have to overcome to get there. Uh, but that's exciting. And, and that's something that, you know, uh, I'm working towards. Um, and, and so I would say, you know, 
a lot of what happens in that evolution, it depends on the person and the people involved. Um, but I would say like a lot of it is kind of restructuring over time. So restructuring when you get to a million, restructuring when you get, you get to 10, restructuring when you get to 20. And even if you think everything's going great, from my experience, oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of um, sort of wonky wheels uh, in the business and there's always things to be improved. And, um, you know, it's it's a lot of work to get there, but it's, it, you know, for me, that interest is in learning and sort of like scaling to the next level. And from my experience, fortunately or unfortunately, once you get to that 10 million mark, it's really hard to scale past that without significant outside capital, you know? So that's mm. kind of been my experience, unfortunately. Um, you know, different businesses are different, but I've I've gotten there several times and I've, I've done it bootstrapped and I've done it not bootstrapped. Uh, and, and I can tell you getting beyond that is very difficult without outside capital. Hmm. So that, you, you know, those milestones that you've, you've outlined the 1 million to 10 million when, um, you know, and, and, and to your point, like all, not, not all businesses are the same, right? So they're all going to be a little bit different. That mark bait may be, Two million for one business and ten million for another, depending on the nature of the service, the nature of the product, that kind of thing. When when you're um, looking around, kind of at the business you're currently running, and you go, "Hey, this is an indicator. This is a a sign that I need to restructure. I need to you know find outside capital." What are the kind of hallmarks of those inflection points beyond the revenue trigger, right? Because that's not always the the best sort of indicator of uh, health, right, or or temperature or what have you. Um, what what are the the indicators that you're using along the way to make those decisions? So one thing is, um, you know, doing early stage startups over and over. I find a quarterly review just in general is is needed. You know, so you have your weekly and your monthly sort of stats and data you review, but a quarterly review that's a little broader. And and what you're really looking for in that review is. Can you do the same things you're doing today with less resources? So less time, less money. Um, because if the answer is no, then that's why you when you might want to start looking at restructuring. Because if there's still growth in the business and you can't bring down sort of the resource allocation to support the old business, then there's probably something off. Because typically as you're growing, you have to spend a lot of extra resources to just grow and learn and make mistakes and everything else. Um, so you need to kind of consolidate those gains over time. And we look at that in early stage companies because everything's moving so fast on a quarterly basis. A larger company, it's more like a yearly basis, right? Um, and and that's that will give you some indicators. So again, so you know, it could be as simple as like your back office looking at your team and saying, okay, I have three people, they're doing this amount of work. We've got more of that work, billing, invoicing, whatever those things are. Um, but can we sort of change the process a little to bring down the resource allocation to what we're doing today? You know, and if the answer is no, then you might have to look at your processes and some of those things because the reality is there's massive businesses doing billions of dollars in business. And they've figured out ways to support billions of dollars in business with a relatively small uh, group of people, right? If you just look at just the relative nature of like, yeah, they have a, a hundred or a thousand people in their accounting department, but they're supporting, you know, $50 billion versus, you know, 5 million. So, um, so, so, so things like that, I, I definitely think are triggers. The other thing is, you know, stagnation in the market. So you, you aren't acquiring the new customers uh, that you were hoping for, or that's not growing or accelerating on the front end. You know, that can be an indicator that you need to change things. That's typically more on the sales marketing side, but it can flow through on the product side. Like people aren't as interested in the things you think they're interested in. So, you know, they, you got that part of the market that has like some features that are important to them, but then you're missing, you know, 
a broader segment of the market, for example. So, so I think those are, you know, the stagnation on the sales side can be an indicator. Um, for me, I, I think most of the people should be enjoying what they're doing in the business itself, which means that sometimes you can tell by the way, by people's attitudes, just internally, you know, if people are getting sort of bogged down and frustrated, um, you know, sometimes that's a time to look internally and see both how you can reposition people because sometimes they just need a change. And also, you know, sometimes people are bearing more than their fair share of the brunt of the business and, you know, things need to be reorganized a bit so that doesn't happen. So that's kind of, you know, I can get into all the, uh, sort of theory stuff of the Deming theory of management and some of those more specific things, but I don't know, unless uh, all your listeners are very nerdy, how to, <laughs> I don't know that that's uh, as exciting to them as it is to me. No, I think um, I, you'll find that the, uh, <laughs> the the desire for more information is insatiable almost. But when, um, when we talk to kind of what we're, you know, how all this stuff fits together, I think it's important, you know, to know that any one of these conversations, any one of these inflection points um, or, or aspects of the business is its very own deep well, right? None of these, none of these concepts we're, we're sort of banding about at a 50,000 foot level uh, are like, uh, it's not easy, right? It requires uh, some diligence and some study. And as a data guy, um, that makes a ton of sense that you're in the weeds, looking at the numbers and all that kind of stuff and using those to make your decisions and inform where you're going. Uh, but for, for the folks listening to the podcast, um, you know, the, we're going to do our best and we continue to do our best to try and make these, uh, turn these into practical tips. So when uh, when you are in those phases, when you are in those stages where major inflection points are happening in the business, um, you, you've provided some, some really great kind of uh, things to look out for. Um, so uh, that leads me to the sort of natural next questions, which are um, in your in your journey, what are the three biggest things you've picked up uh, skill or, or knowledge or tech wise uh, that have made just all the difference in in your your path? Yeah, so so on the knowledge side, I would say you know I am a data person, but limiting the data is very important. So what data you look at, um, you know, there's this concept called vanity metrics. So things like how many website visitors did I get? Like that may be interesting. Uh, maybe valuable, maybe not valuable, depending on your business, uh, because they might not be the right visitors, right? Um, so there's there's all these things um, that people track and measure. Uh, so it took me a while in my career to realize that it's it's not just about measuring everything, right? It's about measuring the right things and then literally limiting those things. So so just focusing on the things that matter and then the things you can impact, right? Um, so so that's really some of them are leading indicators. So it might be like how many signups for you know free signups you got on your website, and then you know that one out of every hundred you can convert to a paid customer. So um, so I wouldn't consider that a vanity metric, right? Um, so knowing what data. And then just focusing on those data points, I think it's very valuable for people. Uh, so that's one from someone who focuses on data. It's like limit the amount of data you focus on. Um, the other thing, too, is I would say on the people side, honestly, you know, coming from kind of a, a data background, um, people, uh, you know, aren't, aren't necessarily... Data can sometimes be um, simpler and more informative than people can be. Uh, and so I would say that, you know, learning how to interact with people um, has been a big growth area of my career personally you know i'm still learning tremendously but it's an area that uh 
I think people don't talk about enough. You hear uh, people talk about all the time, like STEM, you need more STEM, you need more math, you need more computer science, all this kind of stuff. But um, honestly, especially in the world of Zoom and remote everything, um, you know, I think that interpersonal and people skills is extremely valuable um, and something that I continue to learn how to interact with people, uh, you know, the best way. Um, let's see the third thing. You know, I, I honestly, this is something I learned relatively early in my career and I constantly reminded myself of, but it's, it's sort of like the easy button. You know, I think there is an easy button and I think a lot of people, it can be uncomfortable to use the easy button. So what's the easy button, right? Uh, the easy button is finding people that you can get access to that already know the answers to what you're trying to find out. <laughs> so that means networking your way into some expert that might have the answers, networking your way into a network that might give you the right customers, the right vendors, whatever those things are. But there are people in your industry that already have the answers to a lot of the questions you have. Don't be afraid to reach out to them. Don't be afraid to go after them in the market, at conferences, whatever it is, to ask the questions. Um, you know, I've done that for years and approached all those speakers. And, you know, I call them the talking heads, uh, you know, at the events and, and sort of like the industry experts. Um, but don't be afraid to reach out to them and, and ask them the questions that you want to find the answers to. So whether it's about a growth uh, phase in your business or whether it's about the industry you're working in, um, you know, there are a lot of experts out there that have a lot more experience than than we do. And um, I think going to find the easy uh, question to answer with them is something that's been very valuable to me. I can't tell you how many times I do it every day, honestly, almost every week, every day, where I'm reaching out to a tax expert or a law expert or whatever and just asking them a quick question. Um, and it can save you huge amounts of time and energy. Um but it's, it's one of those ways of just getting yourself out there. But it's also uh, it's a pretty simple solution versus doing, you know, days and days of research uh, on, on different things or bumbling your way around and just trying to figure it out yourself. So those are kind of the three things I would I would point to as uh, kind of important learning uh, experiences through my career. Awesome. I think and every one of those I can relate to. Uh, specifically in the, in the work that I've done for sure. So uh, Gideon, before we wrap here, I want to make sure we give you a chance to talk about uh, kind of where you're going and who who you want to talk to and how they should reach out to, to get a hold of you. Yeah, so so I'm a serial entrepreneur. I, I work uh, on uh, multiple companies at the same time, actually. I, I invest in businesses as well. Um, I would say, you know, right now I'm focused on Website Z, um, which really allows you to track the website visitors uh, that come to your site. Um, you know, we spend a lot of money on marketing to bring people to our websites. And then if they just disappear, uh, you know, you have no way of uh, sort of engaging with them. But knowing who they are, what companies they come from can be very valuable to allow you to reach back out to them and engage. So that's really what Website Z is all about. And we really built it because we had issues. There are some solutions in the market that solve part of the problem, but we had issues integrating them with our tech stack. So in other words, you know, we use WordPress on our website. We use uh, different CRMs in the back end. We use Pipedrive, among others. Um, but, you know, integrating all those pieces and then getting that data and being able to reach out to them um, was a challenge for us. And so we really developed Website Z to solve that problem of who's visiting our website and how do we engage with them. Um, and so as far as kind of, uh, you know, you know, for me, that's a very powerful piece, again, because of the, the sales and marketing stack can be... Um, can be a beast for most businesses. Um, and it can be very valuable to sort of 
pull the leads all the way through. And that's what we are focused on with website Z is, is, is sort of that full cycle of going from, you know, the outbound and awareness to pulling them in and then actually closing the sale. So, um, you know, yeah. Awesome. I am. I'm listening to it. And I'm going, Hmm. <laughs> I, we are, our stack's a little complicated. Um, so, you, you know, I can, I can totally relate to, to where that is. So, uh, should they be finding the website Z website and filling out contact forms there to get a hold of you? Or do you want them to find you on LinkedIn or do you have email that you prefer to use? Yeah. So you can uh, find me on LinkedIn, Gideon Rubin. Uh, you can also uh, reach out to website Z, which is just website Z.com. Um, there's a forever free plan. So people can sign up, try it out. Hopefully they'll love it. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and use it as long as they're a smaller company, as far as the volumes. And if they're a larger company, they can try it out for free also. And if they love it, then we hope they use it. Right. Um, you know, so, so please reach out. I'm also of course on Twitter and kind of the normal social platforms, but to be honest, you know, LinkedIn is, is oftentimes the best. <laughs> they're all decreasingly normal these days, right? Uh, <laughs> just put it to that general inbox that handles yeah. all my spam. Yeah, there you go. Um, so Gideon, I want to thank you so much for being on the the, the uh, show today. It's been awesome. I think uh, I think our listeners are really uh, going to be delighted with the things you had to share. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thanks so much, Brian. It was great to talk to you today. And please, uh, if anyone would like to talk, I'm happy to have a conversation. Uh, you know about sales, marketing, or, or tech, uh, anything else. So thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Consulting Trap. If you have suggestions for future episodes or would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at brian at podcastchef.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at P-O-D-C-I-S-T-C-H-E-F dot com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our podcasting done-for-you service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com to find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your business to the next level. Hey, you, yes, you, it's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet, or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, we will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks. Thanks.